Hey, everybody. Stefan Molyneux. Hope you're doing well. Let's go through this New Yorker article. Uh, here's um, this amazing thing that, that just came out. Four women accuse New York's attorney general of physical abuse. So this guy's name is Eric Schneiderman. And he is a Me Too advocate. Uh, he is. He spoke at a women's march. He's very, very big in women's issues. And he also sued his uh, department, I suppose, sued Harvey Weinstein. And now, according to this article, he faces a Me Too reckoning of his own. Now, the spoiler, I suppose, the update is three hours after the publication of this story, Schneiderman resigned from his position uh, give a statement, he said, while these allegations are unrelated to my professional conduct or the operations of the office, they will effectively prevent me from leading the office's work at this critical time. Therefore, I resign my office effective at the close of business on May 8th, 2018. Now, this guy is a huge deal, one of the most powerful law enforcement representatives in America. And, of course, a liberal democratic champion of women's rights and recently become an outspoken figure, as the article says, in the Me Too movement against sexual harassment. He is a 63 and he took action against Harvey Weinstein and demanded greater compensation for the victims of his uh, Weinstein's alleged sexual crimes. And when the Times and the New Yorker last month were awarded a joint Pulitzer Prize for coverage of sexual harassment, Schneiderman issued a congratulatory retreat praising, and I quote, the brave women and men who spoke up again about the sexual harassment they had endured at the hands of powerful Men, without these women, he noted, there would not be the critical national reckoning underway. So, as his prominence as a voice against sexual misconduct has risen, so too has the distress of four women with whom he has had romantic relationships or encounters. They accuse Schneiderman of having subjected them to non-consensual physical violence. All have been reluctant to speak out, fearing reprisal. So two of these women went on the record and two, uh, two others uh, didn't. These women allege that Schneiderman repeatedly hit them, often after drinking, frequently in bed, and never with their consent. Two of the women categorized the abuse he inflicted on them as assault. They did not report their allegations to the police at the time, but both say that they eventually sought medical attention after having been slapped hard across the face, the ear and face, and also choked. Uh, one of these women says that Schneiderman warned her he could have her followed and her phones tapped and both say that he threatened to kill them if they broke up with him. Schneiderman's spokesman, spokesperson sorry, said that he, quote, never made any of these threats. That is astounding. The third former romantic partner said uh, he also repeatedly subjected her to non-consensual physical violence, but she told them she's too frightened of him to come forward. The New Yorker has independently vetted the accounts that they gave of her allegations. A fourth woman, an attorney who held prominent positions in the New York legal community, says that Schneiderman made an advance towards her when she rebuffed him. He slapped her across the face with such force that it left a mark that lingered the next day. She re recalls screaming in surprise and pain and beginning to cry and says that she felt frightened. She asked to remain identified, but she had a photo of the injury with the New Yorker. Now, Schneiderman has said, in the privacy of intimate relationships, I have engaged in role-playing and other consensual sexual activity. I have not assaulted anyone. I have never engaged in non-consensual sex, which is a line I would not cross. Okay, I mean, I'll try not to editorialize too much, but I'll, I'll fail, <laughs> as I want to do. But 
If your role-playing involves beating up women, ah, that's still hideous, even if we accept what he says as true. Now, this story is just jaw-dropping. So, a woman named Manning Barish was romantically involved with Schneiderman from the summer of May, summer, summer of 2013 until New Year's Day 2015. And there's another woman, Selva Adenham, was with him summer of 2016, fall of 2017. Both are articulate progressive Democrat feminists in their 40s who live in Manhattan. Both are articulate progressive Democrat feminists who, in their 40s, who live in Manhattan. So being articulate, being progressive, being a Democrat, and being a feminist apparently does not protect you from what they say this man did, which is horrendous, which we'll get to. What does protect women? Well, not any of these particular political categories. What does protect women statistically is being in a marriage with a man. That is the safest, by far, the safest place for a woman is being married to a man. So if you break down marriage, if you undermine marriage, if you promote alternative to marriage forms of uh, uh, activities, you endanger women. It's, it's really that simple. You endanger women when you undermine marriage. So, just astounding. Uh, so, yeah, this guy, of course, uh, said he's going to file a civil rights suit against Weinstein, denounced Weinstein, saying, we have never seen anything as despicable as what we've seen here, because apparently Amira just wasn't very handy at the time. Now, what's interesting, so here, May 2nd, on the direction of Governor Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo Cuomo, sorry, Cuomo, I should be able to say that. On May 2nd, at the direction of Governor Andrew Cuomo, Schneiderman launched an investigation into the past handling of criminal complaints against Weinstein by the Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. and the New York City Police Department. He lacked sufficient evidence, you know, this is the guy Vance said. And yeah, he's very, very big on feminist causes. You know, there is this kind of cliche that's out these days that uh, I guess there's two very dangerous places places to be. One is between Michael Moore and a buffet, and the other is between a feminist man and the object of his desire, because, uh, yeah, they're not getting a very good reputation, these feminist dudes, uh, at the moment. It seems to be more like wolf in sheep's clothing kind of camouflage of, of predation. On May 1st, the New York-based, ma- uh, sorry, on May 1st, the New York-based National Institute for Reproductive Health honored Schneiderman as one of three champions of choice at its annual fundraising luncheon. Accepting the award, Schneiderman said, if a woman cannot control her body, she is not truly equal. Now, control of her body, of course, as we all know, is the right to kill the unborn child in her womb. And um, my body, my choice um, for women, uh, it's never my wallet, my choice for men who are often forced to fund this kind of stuff. So, and, you know, sorry for the language. Uh, this is this is uh, an ugly story, of course. So, yeah, he's very much into letting women control their own bodies. But as Manning Barish sees it, and I quote, you cannot be a champion of women when you are hitting them and choking them in bed and saying to them, you're a fucking whore. Ah. Schneiderman's involvement, this is the woman she says, of Schneiderman's involvement in the Weinstein investigation. How can you put a perpetrator in charge of the country's most important sexual assault case? Just astounding. Now, what's interesting as well is the feminists love this guy, which means that feminists can't even tell this potential or alleged sexual predator right in their midst. 
a woman who a man who's accused of beating women of of choking women uh, and horrifying things with regards to the skin color of one of his girlfriends they have no idea they yeah let's give this guy a award he's a great guy he's wonderful so they can't even tell an alleged sexual predator right there in their midst but don't worry they're totally clear on the evils of the patriarchy because they're really really good at figuring out who's a good guy and who's a bad guy just astonishing So this woman, Manning Barish, Manning Barish, says she fell quickly for Schneiderman and was happy to be involved with someone who seemed to share her progressive idealism and enjoy her feistiness. Page six chronicled the romance, calling her a ravishing redhead and noting that at a fundraiser, the television producer Norman Lear had introduced her as Schneiderman's bride-to-be. But Manning Barish began to see signs of controlling and abusive behavior. Soon after she started dating Schneiderman, he told her to remove a small tattoo from her wrist. It wasn't appropriate, he said if she were to become the wife of a politician. So, uh, painful, expensive. She says it was his first step in, step in trying to control her body. Taking a strong woman and tearing her to pieces is his jam, she says. To which I can only reply, my dear, that if you are a strong woman, you won't be torn to pieces by this. So, about four weeks after they became physically involved, she says Schneiderman grew violent. Now, so they started dating when they became physically involved. We don't know. But about four, week, four weeks after they became physically involved, Schneiderman grew violent. One night, they were in the bedroom of his Upper West Side apartment, still close but getting ready for bed and lightly baiting each other. As she recalls it, he called her, quote, a whore, end quote, and she talked back. What is the major malfunction in people's values these days where calling a woman you're involved with a whore? Ugh, that's not lightly baiting. That is grim, irredeemable, unrecoverable, tragic, horrifying, sadistic, monstrous, satanic verbal abuse. Calling a woman, ugh, I can't even, I hate the phrase. They had both been drinking and her recollection of their conversation is blurry, but what happened next remains vivid. Schneiderman, she says, backed her up to the edge of her bed. All of a sudden, he just slapped me open-handed with great force across the face, landing the blow directly onto my ear. It was horrendous. It just came out of nowhere. No, it didn't come out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of the fact that you considered, if this description is true, it came out of the fact that you, dis you considered the phrase you whore to be kind of light banter. It didn't, if you accept that, then that process of the subjugation is already complete. Somebody calls you a whore, you get up and you walk out and you never look back. Never. There are certain things that said in a relationship you cannot undo. The I hate yous, the, uh, you know, I have no respect for you, I have nothing but contempt for you, you whore. You, you can't recover from those things. So, it didn't come out of nowhere. Someone would point that out because people need to know where this stuff comes from. She went on to say, my ear was ringing. I lost my balance and fell backward onto the bed. I sprang up, but at this point, there was very little room between the bed and him. I got up to try to shove him back or take a swing, and he pushed me back down. He then used his body weight to hold me down, and he began to choke me. The choking was very hard. It was really bad. I kicked in every fiber. I felt I was being beaten by a man. And this is so strange. Like, if the guy hits you, you get up. You walk out, you walk directly to the police station, you get the photo, you file, like, you file the assault charges. Right there, right then, right. 
Was she, and the police can come right and question him. Was she just at your house? Did she go anywhere else? You take a photo, you stay on the phone with the cops while you walk over so they know you didn't go anywhere else. Boom. Just getting up. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to hit him back. And she finally freed herself, she says, and got back on her feet. I was crying and in shock, she says. She recalls shouting, Are you crazy? Well, uh, I think evil, if what she's saying is true, evil would be better than crazy as the descriptor. To her astonishment, Schneiderman accused her of scratching him. At one point, she can't remember if it was at this moment or in a later conversation, he told her, you know, hitting an officer of the law is a felony. After the incident, Manning Barish left the apartment, telling him that she would never come back. I want to make it absolutely clear, she says. This was under no circumstances a sex game gone wrong. This did not happen when we, while we were having sex. I was fully dressed and remained that way. It was completely unexpected and shocking. I did not consent to physical assault. In the following days, Manning Barish confided to three close friends, female friends, that Schneiderman had hit her. All of them have confirmed this to the New Yorker. She was very distraught. She was very, very upset. This wasn't a gentle, gentle smack. He clocked her ear. I was shocked. She notes, Michelle had, as a friend of hers, Michelle had mentioned that he drank a lot and that he changed under the influence of alcohol, but had never anticipated that he would be violent. The friend described Manning Barish as having seemed sad and torn because, quote, she really wanted the relationship to work. Now, here's the interesting question. Why did she want the relationship to work? Because he was a great guy? No. These are women in their 40s. He's uh, in his uh, 60s. Oh, I guess he was younger back then, but older. Why did she want the relationship to work? I don't know. And I say this with all due sympathy to the victims uh, of this kind of assault. But my guess is that she wanted the relationship to work because he's very high profile, very prestigious, and his girlfriends get to be called ravishing redheads on page six, whatever that is. I think it's some society page. Hypergamy, the desire to, to date up, to marry up, to have a relationship with a man who's very, very high status. This guy's very, very high status. And so when you have that kind of high status male dangled in front of you, it seems to be quite easy for a lot of women to lose their basic sense of self-protection. So Salman Rushdie, uh, who dated her before, uh, he said, you know, stay away from her. But Manning Barish went back to him, a decision that she regrets. Why? Again, it's a foundational question. Why did she go back to him? See, here's the thing. Men have, for many, many generations, been cautioned against merely falling for physical beauty or fertility signals or signs from the body, you know, like uh, even features, a uh, good hip-to-waist ratio, uh, and so on. So men have been cautioned about merely pursuing women for their physical attractiveness. You know, it's called the hot crazy matrix. You've probably seen it uh, around. This doesn't mean men still don't fall into the quicksand of pretty, but it means that at least there's something. Don't objectify women. Uh, focus on a woman's heart rather than her hips and and try and get a quality woman into your life rather than merely jumping off the cliff of physical attractiveness. And so men have policed themselves. We've policed each other. Like, oh, you're just with her because she's hot. Hey, man, no, she's got a great personality, right? We, we mock, we attack, we undermine, we try, at least I do, try to point the men in my life towards women of virtue rather than women of prettiness or status. 
It's not a perfect social program, but at least the problem is acknowledged and discussed. Women's desire for high-status men and their surrender of basic tenets of self-protection in the pursuit of high-status men, well, that's something hypergamy is called, right? That's something we're not even really discussing as a society, and it's really tragic that we're not, because what that means is that these kinds of lack of self-protection stuff can, can occur, right? So a few days later, she says his security detail drove him to her apartment and he showed up at her door with an armload of flowers and a case of wine. Okay, dude, that's pretty cliched. Anyway, she found the wine surprising given the fact that alcohol had fueled his violent behavior. She recalls saying over and over, you hit me, you hurt me, you should never hit a woman. But he didn't want to talk about having hit her. The hitting was not an issue for him she says, before long, they're reconciled. Oh, God. Oh, save me, save me, save me. Save me from the aneurysm of foolish behaviors. Excuses are promises of repetition. Right? Someone does you wrong. If they excuse the behavior or ignore it, all they're doing is promising to repeat it. Excuses, avoidance, minimizing, projection, they're all promises of repetition. This is what drives me kind of crazy. So he hit her, he refused to apologize, he actually threatened her at some point saying hitting an officer of the law is a felony, and he, she says the hitting was not an issue for him, so before long they're reconciled. But why? And her ear bothered her for months, felt painful, clogged, she kept hearing odd gurgling sounds, maybe it was his soul leaving his body, I don't know. Blood trickled out and so on anyway, so she went to a doctor and, and got it sorted out, but she lied about it. She lied about it. She said, oh, maybe I injured my, myself with a Q-tip rather than hypergamy. So they were together off and on for almost two years. She says that when they had sex, he often slapped her across the face without her consent and that she felt emotionally battered by cruel remarks that he made. Criticized how he looked, how, how, sorry, how she looked, how she dressed, controlled what she ate. She lost 30 pounds and um, he squeezed her legs and called them chubby and, you know, I mean, just sounds like a real piece of work and a half. And tried to get her drunk all the time, right? She says, I would come over for dinner. An already half-empty bottle of red wine would be on the counter. He had had a head start. Very stressful day, he would say. So sometimes, uh, it's just so weird to me. Sometimes, I don't know, this planet, man. This planet and the people in it are like <laughs> reptile zoos sometimes. If she didn't drink quickly enough, she says, he would come to me like a baby who wouldn't eat its food. Okay, that's not an it, but anyway. Come to me like a baby who wouldn't eat its food and hold the glass to my lips while holding my face and sweetly but forcefully, like a parent, say, come on, Mimi, drink, 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 and essentially force me, at times actually spilling it down my chin and onto my chest. Like a parent? Like a parent forcing a child to drink alcohol? <laughs> well, I'm sorry about your parents. She says Schneiderman would almost... Always drink two bottles of wine in a night, bring a bottle of scotch into the bedroom. He would get absolutely plastered five nights out of seven. So this sounds like, I guess, the cliched high-functioning alcoholic. And my question is, well, two questions about this guy's being the attorney general and the decisions he made politically and legally. Was he drunk? Was he sober? Did he have a hangover? Was he unwell? Was he able to concentrate with this amount of alcohol in his system or leaving his system? More importantly, if he's treated women this way and people knew about it, and there is a tweet from Donald Trump from 2013 saying, you know, uh, uh, Anthony Weiner is gross, uh, Elliot Spitzer is gross, and Schneiderman. I can't remember it, but, you know, it talks about Schneiderman. That's five years ago that Donald Trump knew about it, we assume. 
Did other people know about it? Were Schneiderman's legal decisions at all influenced by people knowing about how he treated women and blackmailing him? I mean, I would say review his decisions, but I'm not sure who would review his decisions, uh, given the culture, I'm sure, that was in his uh, his office. So, crazy stuff. Uh, she says that he also took prescription tranquilizers and often asked her to refill a prescription that she had for Xanax so that he could reserve about half the pills for himself. And the Schneiderman spokesman said that he's never conde- uh, commandeered anyone's medications And sometimes in bed, she recalls, he would be, quote, shaking me and grabbing my face, end quote, while demanding that she repeat such things as, I'm a little whore. She says that he also told her, if you ever leave me, I'll kill you. Now, naturally, when women stay and consent, when they have education and intelligence and values and so on, when they stay in these kinds of relationships, you always have to bungee in someone who excuses their decisions. And, you know, abuses so that this guy comes, bungees in and explains it all away and there's no free will and blah, 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 blah. And, um, oh, it's crazy. Oh, yeah, I sort of thought this was tragic, right? So he belittles her political desires, right? So when she told him of her plan to attend an anti-gun demonstration with various political figures and a group of parents from Sandy Hook Elementary School, Schneiderman dismissed the effort calling the demonstrators losers. Right? So this is the amazing thing. I don't know how people live with these kinds of contradictions, right? So this woman, very anti-gun, right? So she's really, really against violence. She's against assault. She's ag- but she's dating a guy who shakes her, she says, who chokes her, calls her, like has her say, I'm a little whore. I mean, but she's really, really against the Second Amendment, apparently. Crazy. So she ended the relationship a third time, January 2015, feeling degraded after that. They got together romantically a few more times. But since 2016, she has been in touch with him only sporadically. So still in touch with the guy. (sighs) Just astounding. And this one's amazing too. So Schneiderman was elected to New York State Senate in 1998, served for 12 years, wrote many laws, including one that created specific penalties for strangulation. He introduced the bill in 2010 after chairing a committee that investigated domestic violence charges against former state Senator Hiram Monserrat, a a Democrat who was expelled from the legislature after having been convicted of assaulting his girlfriend. Amazing. Specific criminal penalty for choking. Amazing. uh, To me, it's like it's a completely different species. This kind of contradiction. I'm going to pass a law against choking. He may have been choking women back then. For all we know. Just astounding. So, this uh, woman, uh, the some, some party, summer of 2016, this woman, uh, she's, uh, she's a lawyer in Schneider, began making out, but he said things that repelled her. He told the woman, a divorced mother, that professional women with big jobs and children had so many decisions to make that when it came to sex, they secretly wanted men to take charge. She recalls him saying, yeah, you act a certain way and look a certain way, but I know that at heart, you are a dirty little slut. You want to be my whore. Dude, I mean, 
Fifty Shades of Grey, while a disturbing look into female sexuality, is still in the fiction section, right? So he became more sexually aggressive. She was repulsed by his talk and pulled away from him. And then um, she pulls him away and then she says, he slapped me across the face hard twice. I was stunned. This, I don't know, this like rollover and being stunned kind of thing. I froze, I stunned, I, I couldn't breathe and so on. It's like, the guy is like saying that, you know, you're a dirty little slut, you want to be my whore. And then she's stunned that he slaps her. It is not far from theory to practice. It is not far from language to action. So anyway, she told him she wants to leave. He freaks out. He says, oh, I think a lot of women like it, and so on. So, And then she says, they got into his car, and it quickly became apparent how intoxicated he was. As he drove, weaving along back roads, she was terrified that he'd kill not just her, but another driver. She says that Schneiderman, quote, broke the law at least once that night, end quote. This is untrue, Schneiderman's spokesperson said. So she told two friends, sent them a photograph of the mark on her face. So all of these women, right, I assume feminists, Democrats, and so on, lawyer, knows the law and knows that this guy is, this is not an isolated incident. Most likely, personality is personality, and what people do is what they do, and they keep doing it unless some big intervention or personal choice changes them, none of which seem to occur with this guy. But where's the sisterhood here? Where's the sisterhood? Where's the courage? Where's the kick-ass Wonder Woman of justice? Because he's just going to go on preying on other women until he's stopped. Crazy. So given this woman's prominence in the legal sphere, Schneiderman's actions had exposed him to tremendous risk, yet she took no official action against him. But back then, I believed that it was a one-time incident. Ah, here we go. And I thought, he's a good attorney general. He's doing good things. I didn't want to jeopardize that. Ah, now here you see some of the drive behind female application. And you saw this with Bill Clinton, who um, was doing ungodly things with interns and other women in uh, the Oval Office and other places. And uh, women, prominent feminists said, uh, hell, I'll give him a blowjob myself if he doesn't, like if he supports Roe v. Wade, right? Abortion legalization legislation. He's a good attorney general. He's doing good things. I don't want to jeopardize that. See, you dangle preferential legislation in front, in front of leftist women, and this sometimes is the mindset. Okay, I have to take a slap for the team because he's pursuing a leftist agenda, so it's okay. It's okay. Now, this woman, oh, just horrendous. Just horrendous what happened to her. So her name is Tanya um, Selvaratnam. Selvaratnam. I'm sorry, I'm not pronouncing that. If I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. So she's divorced and she's a feminist. It uh, has written about infertility issues. In 2016, she attended the, National, the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia, where Schneiderman introduced himself to her. She said that their first encounter felt like kismet. Oh, this chemistry thing. Ooh, chemistry. We just don't have any chemistry. I just don't feel about you that way. You know, the tingle, right? And, well, I'm supposed to date someone I'm not attracted to, but the like kismet, we're together, we're joined. That is very typical uh, love bomb stuff. 
that is designed to lower people's uh, basic defenses. So they began dating, appeared to be a happy couple. This woman all but lived in his apartment, attending political functions and dinners with his friends and donors and brainstorming with him on speeches and projects. So she just kind of moves in and it's like, where are the boundaries? Where, where is the self-respect? You don't just, hey, I met a guy. Let's just go live with the guy. Ugh. The slap started, she said, after we'd gotten to know each other. It was at first as if he were testing me, then it got stronger and harder. She says, it wasn't consensual. This wasn't sexual play acting. This was abusive, demeaning, threatening behavior. He was obsessed with having a threesome. It was her job to find the woman. And this is the really astonishing stuff. Selvaratnam, who was born in Sri Lanka, has dark skin. And she recalls that, quote, he started calling me his brown slave and demanding that I repeat that I was his property. I mean, this is the astounding thing. So Donald Trump, what is it, almost a decade and a half? No, no Donald Trump, 2008, I think it was, right? He's with uh, Billy Bush on the set of Access Hollywood. And he says, uh, yeah, some women will, if you're rich and famous, they'll let you grab them by the pussy, right? And everyone went completely insane. But this guy, what's he got going from? Is he a nice guy? Is he an honest guy? Is he a decent guy? Is he a moral guy? Is he an upstanding guy? Is he a kind guy? Is he a virtuous guy? Is he courageous? No. He's got status and prestige. So he is, to some degree, I assume, well, he's certainly famous, high status. I don't know what his wealth is, but let's just say He's got an apartment on the Upper West Side, I think it was. That's not cheap. So, yeah, he is wealthy and powerful. High status. And these women are not just letting him grab them by the pussy, but beat them, humiliate them, pour unbelievably horrifying racial epithets on the brown slave, demanding that this brown-skinned woman repeat that she was his property? If it's bad for Donald Trump to say it, and it was coarsely phrased without a doubt, what does it mean that this guy did it? The abuse escalated, this woman says. He not only slapped her across the face, often four or five times back and forth with his open hand, he also spat at her and choked her. He was cutting off my ability to breathe, she says. Eventually, she says, we could rarely have sex without him beating me. Jesus, come back. Eventually, she says, we could rarely have sex without him beating me. You know, it's kind of tough for feminists to complain that there are bad men in the world if they keep having sex with bad men, because that's the ultimate positive reinforcement, right? Come have sex with me. And so if you're complaining that there are violent men in the world, one of the things you shouldn't do is give up the V to violent men. Because it's tough to say, I, I think that violent men are terrible. Now I'm going to go and sleep for, with violent men. <sighs> at other times she gave in. So she says she often asked him to stop hurting her and tried to push him away. At other times she gave in, rationalizing that she could tolerate the violence if it happened only once a week or so during sex. But the emotional and verbal abuse started increasing, she says, and the belittling and demeaning of me carried over into our non-sexual encounters. Well, of course it did. 
He told her to get plastic surgery, criticized her hair, she should get breast implants, buy different clothes. I began to feel like I was in hell, she says. But it's a hell of your choosing to some degree, right? Just amazing. So she also says that Schneiderman routinely drank heavily, bottle and a half of wine or more. I guess he'd taken the devil's bargain of power for her soul. His emotional state seemed to worsen after the 2016 presidential election. He had counted on forging an ambitious partnership with the White House led by Hillary Clinton. Hmm. Boy, Hillary Clinton. She does seem to have a lot of these guys in her life, don't you think? Doesn't that seem important? Oh, but she's going, doing good work for the feminist causes, so shut up and take it, ladies. Maybe that's the theory. I don't know. So instead, the presidency had gone to Donald Trump. Earlier, Schneiderman's office had sued Trump University for civil fraud because, you see, he's got standards, he's got values. And Trump had counted sued Schneiderman personally. So the day before Trump's inauguration, Schneiderman called Selfaratnam from a hospital emergency room, she recalls. Quote, he told me that he'd been drinking the night before and he fell down. He didn't realize he'd cut himself and got into bed. And when he woke up, he was in a pool of blood. Rushed to the hospital. He had stitches above his left eye, face puffy and bruised. I guess the floor did to him what women say he did to them. And I don't know, he lied about falling while running and, and stuff like that. Just astounding. And uh, Selfaratnam understands how incomprehensible it may seem that she stayed in such an abusive relationship for more than a year. But she says, now I see how independent women get stuck in one. The physical abuse, she notes, happens quickly. He's drunk and you're naked and at your most vulnerable. It's so disorienting. You lose a little of who you are. <sighs> she kept telling herself that she could help him change and tried to get him to see a therapist. At times, she blamed herself for his behavior. I was scared what he might do if I left him, she says. He had said he would have to kill me if we broke up. On multiple occasions, he also told me he would have me followed. He could have me followed and could tap my phone. It's very interesting and, and horrifying. Of course, I assume he did not go to see a therapist. Why did she want to help him change? What did he have that she wanted? Status, 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 status. Status is the hips and tits of women. It is the great temptation that must be spoken of. So she began to spend more time away from him. Last fall, she ended the relationship. This woman had been suffering from ringing in her ears, sometimes had vertigo. Just horrendous. And the story, you know, women talked to each other a little bit. The story began to kind of uh, come out. And another woman uh, is reported, uh, he used to spit on her and slap her during sex and uh Salvaratnam says i wish someone had warned me and i wondered who's next See, this is again the astounding thing is that where are these women's friends where are their 
parents? Where are their siblings? Where are, like, who, they're becoming unhappy. They're losing weight. I assume sometimes they have bruises. They're depressed. They're anxious. They're falling apart emotionally. Doesn't anyone notice around them? Doesn't anyone care? Doesn't anyone ask them questions and be persistent until the answers come pouring out? Who is helping and protecting these women? They clearly can't do it for themselves. I guess that's asking the question is answering it, that if they're that dysfunctional that they stay in these relationships. Well, they're not going to have anyone particularly functional around them, right? That's the way it works. So she says, um, I was not planning to come forward until I found out there was another woman. The silence of women before me meant that I'd suffered too. No, no, no. See, again, it's not just the silence. It's certainly, it's, it's good to tell. It's good to should have pressed charges. The silence of women before me meant that I'd suffered as well. I'd suffer too. No, you, you, you made a choice. You made a choice. You have no shortage of values that say this is bad behavior, evil behavior, monstrous behavior, all you're accusing him of doing. All you had to do was walk away, but that means walking away from the status and the limo and the exclusive restaurant and the photographs and like, I don't know, is that like crack for women? Be photographed in public. <laughs> ah, but the ownership, right? Well, it happened so quickly. I was disoriented. Women hadn't told me this. Man, I'm... I know women who take ownership. I know women who... This is not a universal female issue. I don't know. Maybe it's a Democrat. Maybe it's a leftist issue. I don't know. I didn't succeed because capitalism. Because, I don't know. Patriarchy. Just astounding. And here's the thing, too. I want to mention this as well. You know, there are a lot of good guys out there who are reading the story saying, wait a minute, I can't get a date. Women won't go out with me. But they'll go out with this guy, these beautiful women, accomplished, successful, intelligent women. They'll go out with this guy. They'll move in with this guy, pretty much. They'll have endless sex with this guy. What do you think men, how do you think men process that? Ladies, seriously, how do you think men process when they read these kinds of stories? Do you think that they may imagine that the problem is that they're too nice? That the problem is that they're not vicious and mean and brutal and choky and hitty? Of course, nobody should ever do any of these things, of course. But it's hard to have respect for some women when these, these, uh, this is the kind of guy that they date. <sighs> Crazy. So the women start uh, talking, and there's a the former girlfriend uh, told Selvaratnam that she'd been in love with Schneiderman, but in bed he had routinely slapped her hard across her ear and the face as tears rolled down her cheeks. He choked her and spat at her. Not all the abuse had taken place in a sexual context. Once slapped her during an argument they'd had while getting dressed to go, why are you having all these arguments? I remember this when I was a kid. You know, I grew up in a pretty low-rent neighborhood and people were all screaming at each other all the time. And it's like, just be nice. Just be a decent human being. Just be considerate and thoughtful. Why, why are you people having all these arguments? Well, I think because power corrodes you from the inside out, right? So he hit her, she says. This girlfriend of the blow left a handprint on her back. The next day, the spot still hurt. When the former girlfriend objected to the mistreatment, he told her she simply wasn't liberated enough. He pushed her to drink with him and to set up a threesome. Fat, she had fat legs, she needed Botox, just the usual stuff. 
just the usual stuff. She took stuff he said as a, a threat. Yeah, the former girlfriend said she found it shameless that Schneiderman was casting himself as a leading supporter of the Me Too movement. She promised to support Selvaratnam if she spoke out, but she wasn't sure she could risk joining her. The former girlfriend told Selvaratnam she'd once been so afraid of Schneiderman that she'd written down an extensive account of the abuse, locked the document in a safe deposit box, and given keys to two friends. You know, you know why you do that? Because you're afraid of being killed. <sighs> My goodness. Just astonishing. So, yeah, a bunch of legal options that are being figured out and, and sorted out. And Selvaratnam, this is the uh, end of the article, and, and great job to the reporters for, for putting this together. I mean, Selvaratnam feels caught up in circumstances that have given her only one real choice to go public. She says, it's torturous for me to do this. She says, I like my life. Of this article, she says, I wish my name did not have to be a part of it. And notes of Schneiderman, I know it's going to be my word against his because I don't have photos of bruises and I don't have a police report. Schneiderman's accusers, she feels, are in an unusually difficult situation. As she puts it, what do you do if your abuser is the top law enforcement official in the state? And I just wanted to, again, props to the um, to the reporters. Uh, Jane Meyer, been a New York staff writer since 1995. Ronan Farrow, that's Mia Farrow's son, I think, is a contributing writer to The New Yorker and a television anchor, an investigative reporter whose work appears on HBO. He is the author of the book, War on Peace, The End of Diplomacy and the Decline of American Influence. So... Now, this, of course, is seriously creepy stuff. And the only reason to dig through this horrifying detritus is because, of course, there is the, I mean, people say white privilege, male privilege. It's Democrat privilege. Let's just be honest about it, that this guy was doing good things for women. And so some of the women say, well, you know, he's doing good things. So I guess I'll let him have his way with me. And that is terrible and terrifying stuff. It is also fascinating to me that after decades and decades and decades and decades of warning women about the patriarchy, of warning women about violence, of warning women about predatory men, of warning women about rape culture, that they still seem so fundamentally unable to protect themselves, not just unable to protect themselves, but colluding and having sex with and having relationships with and supporting and working on speeches with the man they say is horrifyingly abusive towards them, murderously abusive. You know, they say death threats, they say strangulations, they say beatings, submitting to violence during sex. So, oh, that path is not working. That path is not working. So they just tell women about rape culture and patriarchy and misogyny and so on. It's not working. This may have gone on for decades. The guy's in his 60s. Do we really think that he was an angel when he was 50 or 40 or 20? Come on. <laughs> Look at the story of Bill Clinton's time in the Rhodes Scholarship. No, this guy's been getting away with it, I assume, if these allegations are true for decades. So whatever is being put forward to help women, to help keep them safe, to help empower them, is not working. The question is why? Now, I have some theories, but I'm curious what you guys think. Let me know in the comments below. What is going wrong? What is not happening? What is not being addressed? Why are these women still so blind to basic elements of self-protection despite decade after decade 
are feminist warnings about male predations being poured into their ear. Why? Why? I am desperate to know. (laughs) I'm the father of a daughter. I'm desperate to know. Please tell me. Why is it not working? 